Welcome to the second in our special election series of the Podcast of Ideas. I again am Adam Rawcliffe, I'm Partnership Manager here at the Institute of Ideas and I'll again be asking the questions. Uh, so with Parliament dissolved, the UK election is gathering a bit of steam. Last week, many, of, uh, many parts of the UK held local and metropolitan mayoral elections, uh, which are usually a dull affair. Uh, but many people are claiming that these ones are indicative of the results to come uh, on June the 8th. Uh, the Conservatives seem to gain a bit of ground. Uh, UKIP was decimated. Labour did poorly, but not disastrously. Uh, and the Lib Dems seemingly did nothing. Uh, but as the campaigning uh, starts to uh, gain a bit of momentum, May is driving home uh, the idea that she offers strong and stable leadership. Uh, whilst mistakes seem to be becoming uh, indicative of Labour's campaign, with everything from leaked manifestos to Corbyn's car running over reporters, uh, it seems beyond the wildest dreams of uh, the thick of it writers. Uh, so this is all going on against the backdrop of the spectre of Brexit, uh, with Remainers seemingly quite quiet in the election, uh, and Brexiteers are driving the national conversation. Uh, to discuss all this and more, I'm joined by the Institute of Ideas uh, Director of Membership and Events, Jeff Kidder, journalist Izzy Lyons, and World Bytes producer and contributor to Spiked, Fraser Myers. So to begin, let's uh, take a look at the local elections. Uh, do you hold it to be true that the results are indicative of what to expect at the general election? Uh, can we learn anything from this, uh, or should we ignore it? Jeff, do you want to kick us off? Oh, okay. Uh, well, I would say, yes, it, they do seem, so much has happened just during this week. It does seem that the local elections were more than a week ago, but they did set the scene. And the fact that the Conservatives did well and won seats in areas in the north, or won the mayor, won the mayor in uh, Tees Valley, uh, won seats in Scotland, uh, Glasgow, other areas where they weren't expected to win seats has set the scene a bit and shows that they have a momentum and the other parties uh, don't seem to. I mean, it's interesting you made the point in the introduction about remain and leave. And I think one of the things we could look at here, although it's definitely the case that the Conservatives who are driving through uh, Brexit in whichever form it ends up taking at the moment did well, you know, how valid is it still to look at the idea of remain and leave? And maybe in many parts of the country, uh, this issue is settled and people just want to get on with things. And I think m maybe that whole division, which has been uh, talked about so much in the last year, isn't quite what it was. And it may be something people have got different comments on uh, during the podcast. Yeah, I definitely agree with that point. And I think I've never paid so much attention to a local election in my life, purely because I think this is very reflective of what's to come. And I think I agree with what you say, Jeff, in terms of this almost goes beyond Brexit. Because if you look at what happened in Scotland, you know, a heavily Remain area, Labour were losing seats and the Tories were gaining them. So despite the fact the Tories are driving hard Brexit, even people in Scotland were willing to vote them in. So I think the local elections kind of proves that people are kind of over this idea of wanting to remain in the EU and we saw it last week, it's a YouGov poll, now 69% of the population just want to get on with Brexit and the only person who is saying they're going to do that is Theresa May unfortunately. I, th I think that's, that's true, I think the, a lot of the Remain voters are absolutely over the Brexit discussion but Brexit is still very popular and I think the support of the Tories tells us that. I don't necessarily think that people you know, agree with 
their programme or policies, which haven't changed much in the last two years, but they are currently the only party that is very much on the side of, of Brexit. No one quite knows where the Labour Party stands. I'm really confused about about that. And and that's really because Brexit is so much more than just leaving the EU. It's a stand-in for popular sovereignty. You know, who should be in charge of the country? The people or Brussels, essentially. Mm. And for you know, other parties to be kind of equivocal on that, particularly you know, for the Labour Party to not really know where it stands on that, whether it should stand up for people who Labour is clearly behind a lot of their troubles at local elections. So yeah, I think it's quite strange on the Conservatives' point that the Conservatives have come out and pretty much branded themselves as Theresa May's team yeah. rather than the Conservative Party. Uh, which a lot of people are behind and think is a great idea. I kind of see it as a bit of a crisis of confidence uh, in the Conservative Party. I wonder if you have thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I, I think it would be wrong to see this as a resurgence of the Conservative Party or you know, a resurgence of conservatism or anything like that. I think it is Team Theresa, and even though she was a Remainer, um, she has managed to really kind of ventriloquise the spirit of Brexit and in, a, in actually a very credible way. I, I don't think that, you know, I don't trust her on a lot of issues. I don't trust her views around freedom. I don't trust her views on drugs, on immigration, on all of these things. But when it comes to Brexit, it is credible that she wants to take the UK out of the EU and that she wants to take us out of the single market and all of these things. So... I can I can see why there's a support for Theresa May, but not for the wider kind of Conservative Party. I think I completely agree with everything you just said, and I think this whole choosing Theresa May rather than the Tory Party that you see on her sort of slogans now there's no mention of her party. I think it's that typical like tactical Tory, and this is why they're very good at winning elections. But I think also at the same time, it's almost quite silly to think that. You know, the working class community and the working class vote, which is essentially what she's going out for, are going to be duped just because these posters don't have a mention of the Tory party. Like when you get down to the ballot box, it's not going to say Theresa May, it's going to say another name and the name of the party. So I think I can see why, they, why, why they're doing it. Um, it's tactical, it's why they're good at winning elections, but I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, I'm quite surprised by the shock at the claim strong and stable leadership yeah. is uh, so different. Isn't that what the Conservatives have been doing since Harold Macmillan? Uh, Jeff, do you want to add anything on the Conservatives? Well, I, I mean, all I would say is that people have talked about this, I've mentioned this in the last podcast, but people have talked about this as being a snap election. But for the UK, it's actually quite a long time, four weeks still to go. And certainly from a lot of the interviews and things I've seen, many people are barely uh, registering it yet. And the time that matters is when people go into vote, as Izzy has just said, um, and the last few days, when, which is when people make, make up their minds. So the fact that the Conservatives are so far ahead, in the polls at least, already is striking. There is a dilemma that Theresa May has a connection with a lot of people for the reasons Fraser has talked about in relation to Brexit. That is true, but at the same time, she obviously has a problem with... Uh, being in, engaging in normal discussion yeah. with people on everyday issues and she's not a woman of the people yeah. in the same way that certain other politicians might have been in the past. So there is an attempt to protect her from that and accentuate the positive while at the same time shield her in, in, in many ways in, in relation to it. But, it. but it is that thing that 
my instinct is that even though people are talking about all these other issues now, or trying to discuss wider issues from the NHS to fox hunting and everything like that, at the end of the day, it, this will, will be the Brexit election. That's my instinct. And that's what people, when they go into the polling, many, many people will decide on that issue. And that's what the uh, Conservatives are, 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 are betting on. Yeah, I agree. I think the Brexit is so powerful in this election, and I think purely what Theresa May is doing, you know, on while she's going out and campaigning, I think it's quite scandalous that she's not allowing journalists, and that it's all very controlled. But they're getting away with it because voters care about Brexit. And I think that just shows how much of an important issue it is that the things that the, the Tory Party are doing and that aren't, you know, aren't affecting the way people are voting. I think it just says how powerful Brexit is in this. Yeah, so let's move on to the opposition now. So the big story this week has been the leaked Labour manifesto. Uh, people have said that it plans to take Britain back to the 1970s. But in it, it claims that the Labour Party wants to nationalise rail, energy and mail, amongst other big public spending hikes. Uh, what are people's thoughts on this? Does it offer any hope, the Labour manifesto? I think, it, you know, there's a lot of discussion about how popular a lot of these policies are. I think that people are in favour broadly of nationalising things, like especially rail, and people are annoyed with the energy companies. And so there is a kind of populist sentiment around it. There, there seems to be both, however, you know, when you, when you talk to people who are very much on the left, they're, I think they're overly excited about nationalisation, as if that in and of itself is, is a good thing. And people on the right are overly terrified of nationalisation, as if it's the the worst thing that could ever happen. And as you said, yeah, as as has been as is being said, a return to the nineteen seventies. But you know, we need to get a bit real here. You know, the Royal Mail has been nationalised. There's only a few years ago when that was privatised. You know, most countries in Europe have a nationalised train service, mm-hmm. um, and the energy plans are only to have one. Um, national energy company per region. It's not to nationalise the entire market. So it, uh, back in the 1970s, the government used to set the price of milk. It was that interfering that much yeah. in the affairs of the economy. It's, it's not a return to that. Um, that's not to say whether it's good or bad. I'm quite indifferent as to who provides these services. I just want them to be good. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, there's not much that's got me excited about the Labour Manifesto. There's two things on it, in fact, that have got me very terrified. And one of them I've actually just seen just before doing this podcast, and it was that they want to implement Leveson 2 in Section 40. And Fraser and I worked on a campaign last year to prevent that from happening. We're still actually yet to hear the outcome. But I think it's a terrifying prospect, and I think it says a lot about the kind of people that they're trying to appeal to. What would to. that mean if they did that? So Leveson 2 would basically mean implementing another sort of um, government investigation into how the media is run. And part of one of the proposals was Section 40, which means that if you're not signed up to a, a press regulator, even if you get take, taken to court and sued, but you're proven innocent, you haven't done anything wrong, you haven't breached any libel laws, you still have to pay the legal fees of your own and your opposer. So it's basically trying to um, strong arm people into signing up to a press regulator. And I think any form of press regulation is absolutely terrifying and has no place in a democratic and free society. So that's one thing that's almost like the nail in the coffin for me as Labour. I just could never ever vote for a party that um, is behind press regulation. And another thing which I'm surprised it hasn't really been spoken that much about since the uh, manifesto was leaked, but was this idea of 
university fees and making tuition free and it's only recently that I've got behind the idea that I just don't think university should be free and um, I think it is one of the big reasons why we see such an issue with free speech on campus now because there are people at university who shouldn't be at university because they're not willing to engage with the very basic idea of university which is being challenged so I don't know what you guys think about that but those are definitely two things that manifesto that I just can't get on board with. So Jeff what are your thoughts on the manifesto? Um, well I'm in a dilemma with it because on the one hand, as I'm not excited by it. It has a lot of 1980s um, uh, stuff in it, I suppose you'd say, as other people have said. Um, but at the same time, when people say, oh, it's terrible because we have to run things in the way that we've run them for the last 30 years, and if you do this with the yeah. economy, everything will collapse, mm. it, it, I just think, well, at least they're putting in some alternative ways of doing things. At least they're opening up that things could be different, which I, I do also think has a certain appeal to a lot of people who are fed up with the way things are. And I certainly agree with the point. Somebody who commutes on the trains every day to London, the, um, which, which are a shambles, um, year in and year out, um, the renationalisation of the railways um, may not make any difference. The, the railways, uh, to me, are not much better or worse whether, whichever hands they've been in in the last 30 years. But having said that, you can see the popularity, given the state of certainly the, many of the commuter uh, lines in the south, you can see the popularity of those policies. And the thing it shows is the reason, as has been said, that many of these the Royal Mail trains were brought into public ownership in the first place is because the private sector wasn't strong enough or able to run them. And the fact that Labour wants to bring all these things back into public ownership also highlights the weakness of the private sector as well. So, you know, it's more complex than this all being rubbish or whatever. I'm not very excited by it, but, you know, I'm fine with them having it in a manifesto and they should put it to the people and, and, and see what they think. On the fees, it's an interesting thing because mm. when I went to university, I didn't pay fees. We had grants. We're in a better position financially, probably, but at the same time, universities were different. You know, it was far fewer people went to university. People were not encouraged to go who didn't want to go, um, and so you're in a whole different situation, both in terms of the education and financially. And to me, the bigger problems at university um, are to do with the education and the way things are taught, and also the. Uh, atmosphere which uh, is talked about in terms of uh, free expression and mm. that experimental side of it both in terms of speech and everything else which now seems to be uh, uh, frowned upon in, in a whole number of different ways so to me that wouldn't be a priority issue in terms of universities. Uh, yeah the university issue is a really interesting one but we'll leave that to another podcast. Uh, so for me one of the things the manifesto highlighted again is the uh, divisions in the Labour Party a uh, report came out today saying that uh, loads of their MPs are set to resign uh, if Corbyn is elected and uh, puts forward this plan of action. Uh, so, a bit hypothetically, where do you see the future of Labour being after this election? Some people are saying that Corbyn hopes that Labour actually lose but managed to cull all the people who disagree with him from his party by them losing office. Uh, do you think the only future is two separate parties, uh, one for the Blairites, one for the Corbynistas? I, th- I think the 
what goes on in the Labour Party is a matter for the Labour Party and it's for them to fight over this corpse for, you know, as long as they see fit. I, whether there's lots of talk of Corbyn staying on even if he loses, which, you know, it's almost, it's entirely the decision of Labour members. People have lost elections and gone on to fought other elections before. But then again, it seems to be the convention in recent years, certainly every election in my lifetime, whoever's lost has, has resigned and given way to a, a new leader. It, it seems to me that the people, particularly in Momentum and a lot of the Corbyn supporters, are much more interested in you know, the Labour Party as a political project in and of itself that you know, not necessarily, doesn't necessarily have any bearing on how the country is, is run. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Corbyn stayed on. Um, like Fraser said, like most of the elections in my lifetime, if you lose, you step down. I think it says a lot about him as a politician. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it splits. In my eyes, it should just die completely. It's, just, it's a dead party that you know has lost its founding principles. Um, but I, I truly wouldn't put anything past him or, or what it could morph into. Like I just don't know. I was. I'd also say that what where it when Corbyn loses because he's going to lose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the problem is that the lesson that the Blairites will take is that they should have been in charge and that they could have won the election. And there really are a large amount of very deluded people who seem to think that you know the Labour Party would be riding high in the polls if only Owen Smith or Yvette Cooper were in charge. What, what's interesting about the, the manifesto leak is that it's alleged that it was, it was leaked by the Blairites because they thought, look, the public will see how unpopular and stupid our policies are. When actually, as we discussed earlier, you know, a lot of the nationalisation stuff is pretty popular. Yeah. yeah. OK. Well, I think it's difficult. I think this election, people say it's important and it's a Brexit election. I think also you, there's many things, and the Labour Party is one of them, where you do have to wait and see what happens and how it plays out. The two things which are key in terms of determining it, though, one which people don't talk about in Britain very much, is that social democratic parties throughout Europe, such as the French Socialist Party, which is virtually collapsed, the Dutch earlier in the year, and, and even the German one is now stuttering before the, the elections. Uh, social democratic parties in Western Europe particularly have had a very bad time of late and they've lost their original mission, they're becoming rumps in many uh, countries. So that counts against the Labour Party. And then Brexit. I mean, one of the striking things this week was Laura Coonsberg trying to get Jeremy Corbyn to answer this simple question about whether he would definitely pull out of the European Union, which isn't a very difficult question to answer. And Corbyn pointedly refused to answer five times. And that's a sign of their, of their dilemma that... On the, they, you know, they're trying to keep both sides of the party, uh, apart from the fact that they have no principles themselves, they're trying to keep both sides of the party happy in, re in relation to it. And both those things, you would think, would cause all kinds of problems for them uh, come, come the election. And then Corbyn himself has a quality of a kind of, which does appeal to some people when you see people following him around, but he, he does have a quality of an accidental leader who's there and you never know quite what he's going to say. It's not usually very interesting, but it's slightly unworldly often and that appeals to a certain minority of people and he has that sort of a quality. So within that context, you would think there are a lot of problems for them ahead and you would also think, as has been said, 
that there's no panacea that if only this person was in charge or this group of people were in charge or they did this, it would get things together because I think those times are past. But, ha but Br Britain has a habit, just when you think the old parties are finished and can never carry on, unlike other European parties where new parties come in with new names and do things such as Macron, in Britain the old parties, as has happened with the Labour Party before, um, the people running it gets emptied out, somebody else comes on and the same parties ha survive. I mean, that's happened to a degree with the Conservative Party, the Liberals over historically, and the Labour Party. So you don't want to write them off, even though their original mission is well and truly gone. But I, they have got all kinds of problems, I think, whatever, whatever, whatever happens. Yeah, so I wouldn't be as quick as Fraser to say that Corbyn's already lost. There's still a while to go. Uh, but if Corbyn is to win, he's probably going to have to be propped up by our friends, the Liberal Democrats. Uh, by their most optimistic uh, conclusions, estimations, uh, the most seats they can win is 21 seats, which they quickly backpedaled on to 14 seats uh, in a matter of hours after <laughs> making that claim. Uh, but this all chimes into the idea of a progressive alliance uh, to topple the Tories. Is this all overstated? Can it happen? What will it look like if it happens? Um, well, I've won. I don't agree with what the Progressive Alliance is standing for. I don't agree with policies, but I actually think it's quite exciting that they're doing it. I think any form of political protest or opposition should be celebrated. But saying that, um, yeah, I don't agree with at large with what they're saying. And the whole Lib Dem argument is very relevant to the patch I'm working on at the moment, which is South West London, which says a lot about the people <laughs> that the party are now appealing to. And even there, where these are heavily remain you know, areas and they're fed up, a lot of them are now Tory seats and they're fed up with their, their MPs, there is big questions over if they can even win there. And actually, those should be safe seats for the Lib Dems. They should be striving to victory in those areas. So I would say 14 is, is a generous um, prediction for them, 14 seats. I'll, I'll feel ill if they get more than 10 <laughs> seats just because they're the only explicitly anti-democratic party. Right, besides perhaps the BNP or someone like that, you know, operating in... British politics today. Um, I think the thing that's overstated about the progressive alliance is not the alliance, but the progressive bit. Yeah. That, you know, the idea that the, the Lib Dems can call themselves progressive, call themselves, um, you know, say, say that they are part of the left while being so tied up with the European Union project, which is, you know, itself anti-democratic, and then not respecting the referendum vote. No matter how, you know, Tim Farron would always spin it as something that is more democratic yeah, yeah. as a second chance to vote. But really, it's about overriding the first vote. Are, are the Greens progressive? I don't think so. Um, they're against technological progress. Um, they're against, you know, in practical terms, against the free movement of people. They're committed to it in principle, but they won't build any airports. So how are people actually going to going to move. Are the SNP progressive? No, probably the most authoritarian party in the UK. In, in Scotland you can be arrested just for singing rude songs yeah. and they brought, you know, they want to bring in the Name Persons Act which provides every child with a state guardian supervisor. So it's, it's you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with an electoral pact but none of these parties are particularly progressive and ultimately their goal of thwarting Brexit is the most 
regressive idea of the lot. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I can just jump on it. I actually had, and this is my biggest issue in Dylan Jones, I had them knock on my door the other night. I felt a bit sorry for them. I don't think I really knew what they were letting themselves in for. Um, I'm in Vince um, Cable's constituency, so they're really hammering it, trying to, trying to win it back. But when he realised them, and he said, you know, why would you not vote Lib Dem? And I told him purely because of Brexit. He kept on hammering, but that's not what the people of this constituency want. And that is definitely what they're going for. They're trying to target those local constituencies. And the mm. big problem with that is that they're ignoring a huge national conversation here. And I think that's the same issue with Labour. They're, it's like an elephant in the room, Brexit. They're not willing to address it. And the Lib Dems in particular are just going for, well, that's not what the people in Twickenham voted for. Therefore, we should ignore it. I think it's a huge issue for them. But aren't you the, a person in Twickenham? As well, I, I, yeah, related no, exactly. to talking about and other people exactly. don't want this, so and we shouldn't yeah. engage you on this yeah. this subject. So yeah. I'll leave the last word to our man from the Lib Dem heartland, the Southwest. <laughs> uh, Jeff, do you have any thoughts on the Progressive Alliance? Uh, well, it used to be a bit of a Lib Dem heartland. I don't think it is so much now. This is the area with the election that I'm most unsure of what's going to happen, and you have to wait till the election because, on the one hand, as we've already said. The idea that there's a body of 48% of the population who are waiting to you know, re- repeat the referendum and vote for all these parties to stop Brexit isn't the case. But there are also quite a lot of people who are for Remain and do not want Brexit to happen, uh, uh, and some are in southwest London, but also around, around the country. And, so, and the formal alliance between the parties, in terms of the progressive, so-called progressive alliance, hasn't worked, but in terms of what ordinary people and and there's a lot of money behind some of these groups um, who are uh, uh, promoting some of these ideas, tactical voting has happened in different ways in the past, either locally or just through ordinary people thinking this is th- this view, so I'll vote for this person here and let's wait and see who because people just talk about it in the post office or whatever and then decide, and so you can't quite tell on those mm-hmm. issues because there are, in some places there is a case how that's going to play out and how Labour's ambiguity on the whole thing is going to feed into that. So it does look as if, at the moment, that whole thing, there's a, a lot of squabbling going on between the Greens, the Liberals and the Labour in different parts of the, and even the SNP in different parts of the country. But in terms of how it's going to play out in the end, that's something I would you know, hold my breath and, and, and wait and see what happens on, on election day, which I think we have to say is still four weeks away. and. You know, the, it, often when you know the, when people lose or win elections, they sort of say, "Well, I realised on the beginning of the final week that we weren't going to win, or we were going to win, or whatever." And we've got over three weeks till till that happens. So I think there's a long way to go. I think also on that on that issue of how are the those parties going to do Lib Dems and, and things like that, um, especially this sort of anti-Brexit alliance, uh, the local elections are probably not that good of guides towards that because the money and the campaigning effort is going to be spent on the general election and we know that people like Gina Miller and you know Tony Blair are going to be involved in that in some way um, not necessarily that people will listen to them but we shouldn't overestimate the amount of energy that will go into that in the final weeks. I think, if anything, we've put to bed the, this notion that the election is boring uh, <laughs> So thank you, Izzy, Jeff, and Fraser uh, for contributing. If you'd like to hear more of the podcast of ideas, go to instituteofideas.com forward slash podcast or find us on iTunes under podcast of ideas. 
and we'll have a few more election podcasts in the coming weeks, so keep your ears peeled for them. Thanks very much.